0: During this season of Lent, our pastor Bobby has invited us to look at different aspects of prayer—prayer prayer of praise and prayers listening. Today, somehow appropriately, also prayers lament. The reading uh, from the New Testament then is taken from Chapter 15 of Mark's Gospel, reading at verse 33. Hear the word of God. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, sabach sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, Listen, He's calling for Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurions who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was God's son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, some prayers are too painful to utter, even to hear or overhear. Yet you have taught us that there is no place so dark that your light does not shine upon it no place so painful that you've not already borne that pain for us. So keep us from turning away from this scene and help us to find just here the depth of your love for this broken and sinful world. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the light of the world. Amen. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's some scenes in scripture that when we read them or even hear them, we're tempted to turn away. This is one of them. It's just too painful to hear these words uttered from the cross out of great anguish and suffering. Jesus is quoting Psalm 22, the psalm that Penny just read. But he's quoting it not for a Bible memory contest, but from the cross, where the words of this psalm give voice to his agony. Why, we might ask, did the gospel writers insist on including this wretched scene of vulnerability and loss in the heart of their gospels? Why must Jesus be depicted as being in despair, however momentary, crying out for help when there was no help to come. What kind of prayer is that? Wasn't there some other way to smooth over this event or deflect our attention elsewhere or depict the more successful aspects of Jesus' ministry? Evidently not. To tell Jesus' story faithfully, one must tell this part also. Here it is, the cry of dereliction, this anguish lament voiced in the form of a prayer while hanging on a cross. Mark wants us to hear this cry, however painful. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To be sure, such a painful prayer has bothered some who would prefer to look on the pleasanter aspects of Jesus's ministry. Not too many preachers proclaiming a prosperity gospel have much to say about the cross, much less Jesus's prayer from the cross. Your best life now rarely looks crucified. This scene is painful, as is its prayer. But the victory Jesus wins is not over something merely unpleasant or difficult like a problem. No, this cry from the cross, this prayer of anguish lament, tells of something we rarely talk about, something we Presbyterians don't hear a lot about namely, God's struggle for our souls. Does that sound overly dramatic to you, perhaps even melodramatic? Maybe even a bit revivalistic or like some old Puritan sermon rehearsing all our evil ways and then bringing God in the last moment to judge and forgive us. A struggle for our souls. Really? Really. This cry from the cross, this prayer of lament, reveals a desperate seriousness about the Christian faith that is not easily washed away by our cleverness or schemes or programs or desire for success. Something else is at stake here that touches the depths of who we are, that in truth is a bit scary to hear or look at or know. A struggle is going on here. The light is shining. But the darkness it reveals is dark indeed, and not easily overcome. If there is a victory being achieved here, it is clear that it's a victory that comes only with great cost. So much of our lives today are lived almost in blessed avoidance of such desperation. And I, for one, am not complaining. I like boring. I like no surprises, I like air conditioning, Wi-Fi, modern medicine, all the gifts that science and technology can provide me, uh, keep me from such struggles. I think part of our anxiety today over this coronavirus is the threat it represents to our comfortable and otherwise well-run routines of life. But I wonder if underneath all our comfort and all our science and technology, when real pain suddenly crashes into our lives, I wonder if then the echo of this prayer of Jesus from the cross is not so far away from our own lips. I remember when I was in high school, I had a friend who wrecked his father's car. What did you do? I asked him. Well, my friend, who was the least pious kid I knew, looked at me and said in all seriousness, well, first of all, I prayed the Lord's Prayer. I laughed when I heard that, and it still makes me smile today. But as silly as it might seem, his instincts were not entirely wrong. When you get in trouble, serious trouble, you become well acquainted with prayer. You ask for help. You might even cry out for it. This prayer of lament from the cross, this cry of forsakenness, testifies that God wins over evil not by snapping his fingers or obliterating our humanity or like some superman repelling bullets with his steel chest, but rather by absorbing all of the evil and darkness and doubts and vacillations and betrayals and failures, absorbing that into himself, going into those dark places we would rather not see or talk about, and healing us from the inside, so to speak, making us more human than we know how to be. That is what it means to become human, I think to learn to ask for help, to learn to pray. We may think prayer easy or sort of pious, but in fact it's anything but. A love like God's love for us will always encounter resistance in our world, most of all resistance from us, who so often would prefer the darkness. We're tempted to tell God, Just leave me alone. Let me be with my misery. Let me keep my illusions of self-sufficiency. But it is then that Jesus' cry pierces our humble selfishness and lets us know that he knows what it is to ask, what it's like to feel abandoned, hurt, and betrayed. He feels that hurt even before we do. That is the very hell he has entered on our behalf. He won't even let us be alone there. He is Lord also there. That helplessness in the face of our darkness is not some strange place to Jesus. He's been there before. And precisely there his light shines. In our Protestant world, we celebrate an empty cross because we say we believe in the risen Lord, the living Lord, not a tragic figure left for dead. And there's much that is right about that conviction. But I must tell you that I find the crucifix of our Roman Roman Catholic friends more honest in a way because it shows the cost of Christ's victory. It allows us to hear these words from Mark this prayer from the cross, and not dismiss it as an unpleasant episode in an otherwise sunny gospel, but rather as depicting the very heart of God's love for us and what it looks like. It is unsentimental in revealing the struggle for our souls and the nature of Christ's victory wrought in body and blood. And like this prayer, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It makes very clear that our faith, our Christian faith, is not some self-help religion of feel-good that has never known trouble, but a faith rooted in one who was not ashamed to be found among the miserable and abandoned in this world. In the Apostles' Creed, we affirm that he descended into hell. And that is some of the best news you and I will ever hear. For in this cry, we see Jesus enters even there, is Lord even there, taking on our doubts and fears and our sense of being abandoned even there. He does this radical act of love, not just to share our experiences or weakness, but so we will know that because he has uttered these words, we will never have to do so in the same way. We will never be alone as he was alone. And at the bottom of this lament, so painful to hear, is Jesus taking on himself our burdens, our doubts and failures and sorrows, and taking them away from us, so that even when we feel lost and hurt and stunned with grief, We can know that there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing that will leave us or any of God's children abandoned to death. He's taken our place there. And even there he is Lord. Even there thou art there. His prayer is the prayer that gives us permission to cry out as well and lay our hurts and griefs and put them before God, knowing that when we do so, we're not farther away from Jesus Christ, but standing or sitting or even kneeling fearfully close to him. The gospel is always more honest, more human, more liberating than we give it credit for. A prayer like this, a cry that voices this sense of abandonment. It only makes sense if the one who prays believes the one to whom it is addressed is the loving God who cares for his children. Otherwise, why cry out with such pain? I think that's what the book of Job teaches us. Job's problem is not that he has boils and has lost estates, land, and children, Bad things like that happen to people every day. No, his problem is theological. His problem is that he believes in a loving God. and If he didn't, then he would have no reason to complain. But he knows God loves and cares for him. And therefore, he cannot understand what has happened. And therefore, he cries out, as Jesus does here, and asks God, my God, my God, why? Only a person of faith can utter such a daring prayer. The doubts that faith knows are so much deeper than mere skepticism. Only a person of faith can express the depths of humanity, even the depths of God's love, that would give rise to such a cry. Only a person of faith would dare to claim God's grace even over against God, putting that promise, reminding God of that promise to God's face. But just so we are taught in both the Old and New Testaments that God expects nothing less of us and that his love encompasses such cries as the cry of his own beloved Son. So what does this mean? I would suggest to you this morning that everything we do as a church here, from our Sunday school classes, our work with the youth, our care and calling and life together, our music and praise, that all of that is designed to help us hear this cry, to teach us to hear it as in the echoes, in the cries of others, in our own cries of loss and grief, in the cries of the wretched of the earth who suffer so much even today, and the cries of those who can cry no more, and to discover in their company what it means to be right next to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying this all to you, that it's good for you to do that, or that it's easy, or that it will make you happy. I'm saying to you, that in so praying, you will discover a depth of humanity that surpasses both your laments and your understanding, and discover some good companions that will walk alongside you on this road. This past week, I was in Austin meeting with a group of young pastors at Austin Seminary to read theology and to reflect on their ministry. At one point, we were discussing the doctrine of providence, the notion that God cares for God's children. One of the younger pastors told of his struggle in his church to minister to a young girl who is dying of cancer and to walk in the company of her parents during this season of illness and grief. Previously, he had decided, as a Lenten discipline, to write a prayer each day of Lent. And one day, after spending nearly all afternoon in the hospital, he wrote this prayer, which he said I could share with you this morning. I'm sharing it with you not just because it strikes me as a remarkable prayer, but also because it clings so closely to the words of Jesus and Psalm 22 that we've heard this morning the prayer reads as follows today O god i pray for those who ask why for those whose hopes were dashed by outcomes other than the one for which they had prayed so fervently for those who earnestly sought you and the answer you gave was not the one they wanted to hear for those whose loved ones have been taken from them far too soon for those whose suffering has made them bitter toward you even wondering whether you care or if you're there at all today O god i pray for those who ask why i confess O lord that i don't know what to say to them i don't have magical words to make their pain go away I won't tell them God works all things for good, no matter how much I believe that, because that's not something they can hear right now. I won't say God won't give you more than you can bear, because they would call me a liar if I said that. I don't know what to say, so I pray for them, and I lift them up to you, for you know their pain. You know their pain because in your son you suffered it. You know what it is like to cry out, why? And you know what it's like to feel abandoned. Answer them, O Lord, with your loving presence. As they walk through dark valleys, assure them that you are with them. Dispel their darkness, I pray with your grace and compassion and mercy and peace, and with your steadfast love. Christians do not know more answers to the why than other people do, but they do know who is the Lord of all our whys, and they do have, by the grace of God, a company of saints whom he has called to help them live with such questions and to walk with them through dark places together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.